I want to just give you the title of the message this morning. It's Palm Sunday. And, and that is when Jesus entered uh, the city triumphantly. But the week before he was crucified, he came in a, as a king being um, worshipped as such. But the title of the message is Life and Death for the Believer, the Rise and Fall of Palms. Life and Death for the Believer, the Rise and Fall of Palms. It was a triumphal entry for Jesus on Palm Sunday. Uh, but what went wrong a, less than a week later? Why did the crowds who uh, adored Jesus on Sunday turn on him on Friday of that week? And what, choi- what, what choice does Palm Sunday present to us today? So I just want to, again, draw your attention back to the illustration I've used before that we are created to be worshipers. And you are going to worship something or someone. You will. If you follow uh, the enemy, if you uh, release your life over the devil, he will have you worshiping something. If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll be challenged to either worship Jesus or be dried up in your, in your faith. That you'll, you will end up dried up. I, I want to look, look today at, at, to answer these questions and explore the reasons the Roman Empire and, and the Jewish religious leaders and the common people all turn on Jesus after that glorious Sunday. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew, the 21st chapter, 21st chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 11, the first 11 verses, says that they, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Man, Jesus tell them to go steal some people's donkeys, right? No. No, he's already set up. We'll see in a minute. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I'm saying not just, not just a donkey, not like the prime example of the strongest best looking donkey but but a colt the small donkey the disciples went and did as jesus instructed them they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them and jesus sat on them a large a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road the crowds that went ahead of him and who that followed shouted hosanna to son of david Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So the problem on Palm Sunday, you know, today again is Palm Sunday and the day on which Jesus rode to Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And this day has been described by Christians for generations as the triumphal entry to Jerusalem. The triumphal entry. But have you ever asked yourself, if this was triumphal, then why did they crucify Jesus at the end of the week? I mean, I know people are finicky, right? But we're not talking about just change our minds like, oh, I was going to follow Jesus this week, but I think I won't next week. We're talking, we went from worshiping and praising and, and giving him this grand interest to, let's kill him. I mean, there, there is not a bigger swing in, in in the, the life of a follower, then I'll go from 
worshiping Jesus to, I want to annihilate him. So we have a problem today that we need to address. If this is such a glorious Sunday for all Christians, what goes wrong by Friday? That Jesus himself will find himself betrayed by one of his own disciples, so even his own turning on him, arrested by the high priest's guard, accused by a coalition of religious leaders, tried by the Roman governor, and sentenced to die the death of a common criminal, death by crucifixion. I mean, how much more wrong can things go in the church when, when, the, when Jesus, the, the religious people are his accusers. They're the ones that are looking to find fault in him and to just annihilate him. Of all people, you might expect the Roman Empire because they're, they're holding captivity, the people that God uh, calls his own. But no, it's the church. How, how quickly we are to just look for an opportunity to cast all the guilt of our sin on someone else. But see, there's a little interesting twist to this story. You might not know that Jesus' procession into Jerusalem was not the only procession the city saw that day. Did you know there was another triumphal entry going on at the same time? In the year 30 AD, Roman historians record that the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, led a procession of Roman cavalry and centurions into, into the city of Jerusalem. He was coming in with pomp and circumstance and, and making a triumphal entry. Imagine the spectacle of that entry from the western side of the city, the opposite side from which Jesus enters. I mean, this is the clash of titans, really, in a way. You've got Jesus coming in one side in a humble, meek, and mild way, and you've got Pontius Pilate with his military force coming in. Literally, this is a picture of the fight that's getting ready to happen in hell when Jesus takes away the, the keys to death, hell, and the grave, right there being played out in front of their eyes in the city. They just don't realize it. Pontius Pilate leads Roman soldiers on horseback and on foot, each soldier with clad and leather and armor polished to high gloss. You know, we don't see this kind of image today other than you look at the history pictures of like Hitler's army coming in and marching in unison with the, with the, the resounding smack of the boots on the ground and, and the, the show of military force. Each soldier clad in leather, armor polished to high gloss. On each centurion's head were hammered helmets that gleamed in bright sunlight. Each part of that craftsmanship of the hammering of the helmet would have been reflecting the light that day. At their sides, sheathed in their scabbards, were swords crafted from the hardest steel. And in their hands, each centurion carried a spear, or, or, or if he is an archer, a bow with a sling and arrows on his back, each one armed to the hilt of that time. Drummers beat out the cadence of the march, for this was no ordinary entry in Jerusalem. Pilate, as governor of the region, which include not only Judea, but Samaria, and also uh, Edomia, and he was, it was known that it was a standard practice for Roman governor of foreign territory to be in the capital for religious celebrations. But it was kind of a two-edged sword, if you will. They come in with the guides of, we're coming here out of respect for the captive people's religious celebration. But really, they come in with all that might and force to show, hey, you don't want to rebel against us. We're still in charge. You may have your religious beliefs, but we're still in charge. 
We're the ones that you need to realize that at the end of the day, it's not your God that has a say. We have the say. Romans must have been aware that this festival celebrated the liberation of the Jews from another empire, Egypt. Think about Pharaoh and his army. This celebration, the Passover, is all about when their God killed Pharaoh and his army and, and freed them. And so here's the Roman Empire in control of them, and they're getting ready to celebrate this event. They're full well known what they're celebrating. They're celebrating liberation from, <coughs> from captivity, and Rome wants to make sure, the Roman Empire wants to make sure they understand that's not going to happen again. So Pilate had to be in Jerusalem since the Romans had occupied this land by defeating the Jews and uh, had killed their king about 80 years before. And uprisings were always in the air. That's the concern for the controlling country is to worry about the uprisings. The last major uprising long before Pilate's time had been after the death of Herod the Great in 4 B.C. And the uprising started in Sepphoris, about five miles from Jesus' boyhood home of Nazareth. So imagine this, Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God, growing up in Nazareth, and it's just a little bit away where this last big fight for control of God's people happened. And so, so you've got this dichotomy, you've got this, this intense uh, meeting, if you will, between Jesus, the Son of God, and those who will try to keep captive the people of God. Before it was over, the city of Sepphoris, the, the capital of Galilee, and the town of Emmaus had been destroyed by the Roman army. And after putting down the rebellion there, the Romans marched on Jerusalem. And after pacifying the city, they crucified over 2,000 Jews who were accused of being a part of the rebellion. They made sure that the Jewish people understood, this isn't child's play here. You try to rebel... You try to come against us, and we will annihilate anyone who is a part of that. So there had to be fear in the hearts of Jewish people towards the Romans that we're going to celebrate when we were freed before, but we need to just do it very calmly and keep it under wraps. The temple would be the center of the Passover activity, and uh, the, the fortress, the Roman garrison built an adjacent to the temple compound, this big um, Antonius fortress right next to there. And this would serve as a good vantage point from which to keep an eye on the Jews. So everything's being set up. We've got this place we built, and and we're trying to be like we're just being a part of what they're doing, but everything is about keeping an eye on the Jews. Pilate's entry into Jerusalem was meant to send a message to to the Jews and to those who might be plotting against the Roman Empire. So this whole spectacle was meant to remind the Jews of what would happen And what happened the last time they tried to have a big uprising. But again, this is the day of two processions. So if Pilate's procession was meant to show uh, be a show of military force and control and power to keep them in bondage, Jesus' procession was meant to show the opposite. Both Matthew and Mark record Jesus' own words as he instructs his disciples to go in the city and find a donkey tied up. And they're to ask the owner if, if they may use the donkey, and they are there to say, the Lord needs them if they're asked. Then Jesus quotes from Zechariah, the ninth chapter, and he says, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But there's more to this passage than just a description of Jesus' means of transportation for the day. 
The, the prophet Zechariah is speaking to them, to the nation, in Zechariah 9. The prophet reassures the people of Judah called Judea on the, uh, on the New Testament that God has not forgotten them. So this is an Old Testament passage foreshadowing a prophecy that, that they won't be forgotten in captivity. That they are going to be rescued. And one way they will know is that their Messiah, their Savior, will come riding on the colt of a donkey. But I will defend my house, it says, verse 8, Zechariah 9, verse 8. But I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 10, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus' quote from the prophet Zechariah reminded those who heard him of the entire passage. God will deliver the nation from the oppressor. I mean, this is a time when Jesus' disciples should have said, wait a minute, he's saying this is it. This is the time of deliverance. But what they're, they're still focused on is this physical military battle where Jesus will overthrow, their Messiah will overthrow Rome, and they will be able to set up an earthly kingdom. They, they still haven't figured out that this is very much all about the spiritual kingdom of heaven. But the king they seek will come to them humbly, not on a steed of war, but a slow-moving donkey. It almost seems like a deceleration there, right? You know, we watch movies and the, the knight comes riding up on the big steed, you know, sword in hand, ready to defend the honor of, of the people, right? And then you got Jesus. Right? That's for the kids. Right? That's what the donkey says. Like the little thing you pull when you're a kid and the little arrow goes around. The sound so this almost would be hard. It would be hard for us even today. You know, it, it's like our elections. We want someone to come in there just putting on the I'm strong, I will defeat the enemy, I will defend the people, I will come up with great uh, ideas for health care, all this stuff. You know, we want, we want a Savior in every part of our life. But we have our own idea of what that Savior is. And, and, and so this is messing with them big time. They're like, wait a minute, th this is not what we had hoped. But the two processions could not be more different in the message they convey. Pilate, leading the Roman centurions, asserts the power and the might of the empire, Rome, which crushes all who oppose it. And then Jesus, riding on a young donkey, embodies the peace and the tranquility and the shalom that God brings to his people. And this is where what, what the lesson God is continually teaching me every day. And we're in Silver City and we're praying and, and, and we're uh, singing hymns and songs in, in the lines. It's like, you know what? The freedom of God comes from the freedom in our spirit, not from the troubles that this world tries to put on us. It's not from the problems at our job. It's not from the sicknesses, those things. Yes, they burden us. Yes, we are to take those to the Lord. But the freedom in our spirit comes from just truly understanding that no man or no country or no ruling empire can truly rule the people of God if they are free in their spirit. 
So it was a triumphal entry because Jesus is coming to give that opportunity for us to truly be free, to no longer have to have a priest go into the Holy Holies, us enter. He knows what that feeling is going to be like for us, standing in a line waiting for a roller coaster when all of a sudden the Spirit of God begins to minister our souls and out of our mouths come this worship to him. He knows that's real freedom. And so he understands these people, it's a false a victory for them. They're, they're throwing up these things because they have a different hope. They have a different expectation. And that's why I've been preaching over and over. The, the rise and fall of our relationships together are all about expectations. When we place unfair expectations on each other, we're mimicking what the church did to Jesus on that Palm Sunday. Their expectations were, we'll worship, we'll praise you because we believe that you're going to do what we want. But as soon as you don't do what we want, Jesus... We'll kill you. And we have to be careful as a church that that's exactly what we do to each other sometimes. Is we, we will praise and admonish each other and encourage each other as long as we're meeting each other's expectations. But the moment we don't, we're ready to annihilate each other. That is where most church splits and church fights happen is when we put these expectations on each other, not realizing this is all temporary. We all fail at times. We all do these things. But, but we are to still exemplify Jesus who came knowing they were going to slaughter him. But yet he knew the true freedom comes inside from inside. Those who watch that day will make a choice. They'll either serve the God of this world one of control or bondage, or they will choose to serve the king of a very different kind of kingdom, one of true freedom, the kingdom of God. See, here's the problem of, of, of Je Jesus had with leadership that he teaches us. There's a book titled Leadership on the Line, and the authors Marty Linsky and Ron uh, Helspas define leadership this way. Leadership is about disappointing your own people at the rate they can absorb. I found that at Walmart, for sure. Because every day I knew I would disappoint somebody, it was just a matter of whether, if I could keep the team together, because I knew those disappointments, that it could be a rate they could absorb. Jesus had that problem. He knew their disappointment was coming. He knew that they were going to be sorely disappointed. That's exactly why Peter would deny him three times, because Peter still was hanging on to that fact that we were going to kick the tail of these people who are oppressing us and take names. And he saw it all come crashing down. And they arrested Jesus, and Jesus isn't calling down the armies of heaven, and there's not this big battle that ensues, and, and the people are freed. He's like, they're killing him. And he gets fearful. Jesus has another problem. Of course, his followers and the others who get caught up in this, his entry into Jerusalem think they're choosing to follow Jesus, but by the end of the week, Jesus will have disappointed the, a, the crowd at a rate faster than they can stand. It just happened too fast from him coming in and you got Pilate coming in on the other side and they're thinking, this is where it happens. We're going to finally see the, the victory. And by the end of the week, they will turn on him. Even those closest to Jesus, the 12 disciples will either betray him outright or abandon him in confusion and fear. It's interesting to note that the crowd on that Sunday proclaimed, Hosanna to the Son of David. In other words, they were placing their faith in Jesus um, that 
that he would restore the glory of the, of the nation to its splendor when David and his son Solomon ruled and united the kingdom. That was some glory days. They were still looking to the past. Oh, I can't wait till the church is like it was back when I was young. When, when, when it was truly the Holy Spirit was moving. I can't wait. And they were focused back then on, on what happened in the past and really expecting Jesus, putting all these expectations. that It's going to be just like King David and when Solomon, and, and we're going to be singing his praises because he is going to strengthen. And, and then they're disappointed because it, it appears as if everything's crushed. They weren't looking for a new work to be done. Something, you know, that stuff in the past had perished. And sometimes we can't get it. We keep wanting something of the past thinking that's going to fix the future. And, and it might have been good for that time, but then we're at a different time. And, it's, and we can't rely on what happened in the past to fix the future. Jesus comes afresh and anew every time, ready to deal with the issue at hand in the way it needs to be deal with, dealt with for that time. No one would have anticipated this new covenant. As far as they knew, church would always be the way it had always been. You'd come, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. If he was uh, clean and everything's good, he's alive. If not, the next day you're putting an ad out. Priest needed. Last one messed up. Bad. You know? They're, they had to put a rope on him, right? Pull him out. He had a bell on him jingling. Let him know he's still kicking in there, right? And so, so they had assumed that was going to be church all the time. That's the way it is. Jesus' coming was to get rid of the physical empire, the evil empire there, and for them to be able to do church without any oppression. And sometimes we're hoping for that. You know, I don't hear a lot about ISIS anymore. But I don't watch the news all the time. Maybe you all are. But I don't hear the fear, the driving fear. We still know there's persecution of Christians all over. Make no light about that. We need to be praying and believing because they're still at work. It's just our media has turned their attention to other things. But for a while there, the church was just like, we're going to have beheadings in our churches. We're going you know, to lose our right to worship here. And it could be. But, but we'll let fear drive us to change the way in which we follow Jesus is the point. They had the same problem then. As long as the expectations I have are being met, fine. If not, all of a sudden fear creeps in. Then I get worried. Then I tend to do things differently than what Jesus is asking me to do. And I work against him instead of for him. That's what the Jews wanted after all, to be ruled by a man like David. He was good looking, strapping, smart. Remember? But he killed tens of thousands they shouted when he took power a man so committed to God that the Old Testament prophets had proclaimed that, that the coming Messiah would sit on the throne of his father David the Messiah would bring back the glory of Israel would rid the nation of oppressors and would rule benevolently and would be the king the kind of uh, the king to the common people Jesus had challenged the rulers of Judea already, not the Roman rulers, but the local rulers. He had said to them, the temple was not the only way God, of God's forgiveness, and that further that the temple would be destroyed with not one stone left on another. So Jesus had disappointed and alienated powerful people. And he did so because the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes, most of the Levitical priests and others who uh, ruled on Rome's behalf were part of the same system of oppression 
and domination that Pilate was a part of. They had just signed up to say, listen, we want to still have power. We had it before. And if we're going to be uh, controlled by this Roman Empire, we might as well be on their side and be on their payroll. And that's really what happened is they became a part of the oppression to keep God's people under control. So they weren't any more representatives of the church or God. They were representatives of the power of the oppressor. In fact, Pilate served the Son of God too. The late Emperor Augustus, who ruled from 31 B.C. to 14 A.D., was said to have been fathered by the god Apollo and was conceived by his mother Adia. And, and inscriptions referred to him as the Son of God, Lord, and even Savior. So these terms were familiar to them. They were, just, they were attributing it to anyone who seemed like they would be the most powerful. Augustus' successor, Tiberius, during Jesus' life and ministry, also bore divine titles. Until later in the first century, the emperors would demand to not only be addressed as God, but also be worshipped as God also. So for the people of this world at this time, anyone who had the ultimate authority and power, they were God. The people of Israel had allowed themselves to buy in to this lie of the devil that whoever has earthly power is your God. And we see generations now coming up that are being fed this line. Everyone do what's right in your own mind. That, that it's not up to anyone else to tell you what's right for you. But, but if there's someone who can be powerful over all, then that will be our God. And listen, they're willing to turn to Islam or turn to atheism or whatever it is. Whatever seems like it has the most power to them, they'll turn to. Instead of what is true. So a contrast between kings and kingdoms was on display that day. And although many of the common people thought they had sided with Jesus, they did so for the same reasons the Pharisees and the others sided with Rome. They thought Jesus could do for them what Rome had done for their rulers. They thought finally they would just pick the winning side, but it all had to do with the earthly power. I want to I just close in, in saying this. We have to ask ourselves, if I had been in Jerusalem that day and had seen both processions passing by, which one would I have chosen to follow? Because that is the choice that we make every day to choose control or love. To choose the way things are done over the way God intends them to be. Two processions, two theologies, two choices. Which one would you choose as a question? What kind of king do you expect? Will you raise your palms, if you will, to whatever seems to be fixing your life at the time? Or will you raise your palms to the one that you know has been foretold since ancient times that he is the king of kings, lord of lords. He will be victorious. We know how it ends. We are on the winning side, but you have to choose every day, every moment how we react to each other, what we watch, what we fill our minds with, every bit of it, every bit of it is a choice who we're raising our palms to. You know, I, I couldn't go anymore, and this isn't trying to get old-time churchy on, but I couldn't go to a rock concert and raise my hands now. I used to like the Eagles, things like that. I couldn't go and, and express in any way, shape, or form anywhere close to what I expressed to the Lord. 
It's just that's dead and gone. The freedom I feel worshiping the Lord, I know I can't, I can't mimic that for anybody else. I'd feel disingenuous. I'd feel like a traitor. I'd feel like I'm betraying Jesus. He is the love of my life. And so everything I do, raising my hands in worship, singing out in a crowd, through the grocery store, in the car, while everybody thinks you're silly, all that is not to for show. It is to express what he's doing in my heart. That's what is the driving force for what we're doing in a new song here. That experience with God that we'll never turn back from. We'll never give our love again to anything else other than Jesus. Amen? Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you, Lord, on this day that we remember your triumphal entry, Jesus. And we say that after reading your word, realizing that it was triumphal for you and everyone who will end up in an eternity with you and fellowship with you. But God, for those who were looking for an earthly solution to their eternal problems, the disappointment, Lord, they were expecting someone to just rescue them and let them continue to live as they wanted to, to not be challenged in their spirit to grow or do anything other than just someone do their spiritual walk for them and to defeat the earthly enemies. God, sometimes we're asking you to do things for us that, that it's like we're saying, make it to where we don't have a need for you, God. Give me that job. Give me that money. Give me that car. Give me that perfect family. Give me all those things to where I don't really need you anymore. I just have everything I need. And the people that day on that triumphal entry were crying that out. Just give me what I want. Give me what I want. I, I want to be in a spot where I don't need you anymore. Give me my freedom from all of this. Lord, protect our hearts from being like those that day on Palm Sunday that were so quick to turn and go from worshiping you to ready to annihilate you from their lives. Thank you, Lord, for the rejoicing that we, we can do on this Palm Sunday that next week we'll be celebrating. Lord, the answer to that is that you did supply all our needs, what you did on the cross, that you are a provider, our healer, our savior. Everything we need was done on that work on the cross and you suffered to bring it to us. For that, we're thankful. With every head bowed and eye closed, I just want to give you a moment to have a conversation. Lord, the altars are always open. The chairs that are empty, you want to find a place or you just want to, to just settle in your heart where you're sitting with the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Let that conversation change your life this morning. Let's just spend a little bit of time just meditating and having a conversation with the Lord.
again. We just pray that today we leave this place, Lord, with a new song in our heart. God, every day that we wake up, you put a new song in our heart, Lord. Let the, let the communion with you never end, Lord, and let our hearts just beat and thirst, God, for more of you every day. Draw us closer together and closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you all. Have a blessed Palm Sunday. Um, next Sunday, come for a great Easter service, and we'll see you soon.